Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to the book of 1 Peter, if you will, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. Thank you. In just a moment, I want to deal with the third installment on this series on, on faith. We talked about Abraham and his faith as his believing God and his faith was, was accounted unto him for righteousness. We talked about the tension in the second session on faith. We talked about the tension between Jacob and Gideon. That on Jacob's side, the, the error of Jacob for so much of his life was striving, pushing past God, forcing things, making, making his own way, not waiting on God. He just couldn't trust God. He couldn't trust the, the timing of God. Gideon, on the other hand, was so much concentrated on his own weaknesses that he had a hard time launching into obedience. That the the tension between them, that as we grow and mature in faith, we learn to trust God and to obey God. Now this third, I want to to deal with the issue of, uh, of faith as its foundation. What is the foundation of faith? So if you have your, if you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to 1 Peter, if you will, please. Chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. If so, ye be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as living stones are built up into a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, and here he quotes or more or less paraphrases uh, a passage from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Let me just give you the revised Rutland translation of this, of the B part of verse 6. He that rests his faith on that foundation will never be utterly confused. Verse 7, And unto you therefore who believe, he is precious. But unto them who are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected, the same is made the head of the corner, the cornerstone, the, the, the anchor of the entire foundation of our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this evening. Here just us and this Wednesday and you with us, those that are joining us around the world, a family knit together by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I'm asking that you would overwhelm every every hindrance to divine communication, that you would speak to us in your in your grace and in your love and so anchor our thoughts on the foundation stone, which is Christ himself, that we will be forever transformed through Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you to imagine a 13-story building that simply falls over. I don't mean it collapses downward. It just falls over. The Lotus Riviera 13-story apartment house in Shanghai, when it fell over, it looked just like this. There it is. The picture is not askew. That is the the Lotus Riviera. It simply fell over sideways. Do you see it's not standing up? It's falling on its side. Why would it fall? Why would a 13-story apartment house in Shanghai suddenly fall over? Because the foundation looks something like this. Do you see the pipes sticking out of the bottom of the Lotus Riviera? When it fell, they found out that the construction people, that its entire foundation consisted of ceramic pipes that had been dug down into the end of the ground with no rebar. Here's another look at this solid foundation. It simply collapsed and fell over. I, I am convinced that there are people whose lives above ground are getting taller than the foundation they can hold it. What is our, where does our faith rest? I'm going to tell you something. I'd like for you to listen to this for just a moment because it's an important, it's an important thing I'm observing and I want you to hear it. I hear so much talk about faith in the broader spirit field, in the, in the evangelical world, but particularly in our spirit-filled side of things, in the charismatic and Pentecostal world. I hear so much talk about faith, which is highly self-conscious, highly self-aware. How do I use my faith? Do I have enough faith? How do I make my faith work? How do I speak my faith? How do I, how do I, how do I? It becomes so self-conscious that I believe that it may actually work against us. It may actually make me self-doubt. I don't have enough faith. I don't know how to do it right. I don't know how to say it right. I don't know how to live it right. That it actually makes me aware of myself and not of the foundation of my faith. What is the, the foundation of our faith? I did a little research. I, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a general contractor, but I did some research on the the problems that can go wrong with foundations, they basically fall under two categories. One is the issue of load-bearing capacity. That's the, the Lotus Riviera. What an exotic name, the Lotus Riviera. You may want to think before you buy a high-rise apartment house in Shanghai, <laughs> evidently built with tissue paper. But the load-bearing capacity, is the foundation strong enough to simply hold what lays on it, what rests on it. The second problem with foundations is differential settlement. 
That is to say, almost all buildings, houses, everything settles to a certain extent. The foundation goes down just a wee bit as it gets settled on the ground where it's built. But if there is a differential settlement, one part settles faster or slower than another part, which can cause cracks in the, in the, in the structure of the building. It can cause it to, one part moves faster than another and it can actually break the building. That didn't happen with the Lotus Riviera. It simply was too tall for the foundation and fell over. But sometimes you'll see a crack in a driveway or something and it means that there's a differential settlement. I, I, I believe that people have both of these issues sometimes in the foundation of their lives. That is to say that they simply don't have enough foundation under their life. Their life is so huge, so complex, so complicated, so so uh, filled with anxiety and doubt and fear, and they simply don't have enough foundation under it, and it and it simply is top heavy. Their whole life is top heavy. Other people, their life is is cracking open. They they can feel that one part is working, one part isn't. My job is working, but my house is, my family is settling. My kids are okay, but my marriage is settling. And I can feel the whole thing cracking open. What, what, what we have to have is a foundation under us, which is solid enough to hold the whole thing and which will not differentially settle. In fact, it won't settle at all. The foundation is the critical issue in building. If you, everyone remembers what happened on 9-11, when the World Trade Center, the, the, the Twin Towers were brought down, but they were brought down from the top. But if you remember, that was not the first time that Al-Qaeda tried to bring them down. They tried to bring them down once from the bottom. If you'll remember in 1993, Eight years before the World Trade Center came down, Al-Qaeda parked uh, explosive-filled trucks in the parking garage underneath the World Trade Center and set them off. It was a massive explosion and sent smoke all the way to the 73rd floor, but it did not bring the buildings down because the foundation was strong. The, the only way that building could be brought down was from the top. It could never be brought down from the bottom. Where is the foundation of our faith? On what does our faith really rest? There are three things. The first is this. Our found, the foundation of our faith, our faith rests on who God is. You remember in the conversation between God and Moses in the personification of the burning bush, Moses said, whom shall I say sent me? When I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God says, this, his answer is, is brilliantly simple. I am that I am. The ultimate reality, God says, is that I am my own character. I'm never one thing and then another. Wouldn't it be horrible if God was as whimsical and capricious as the people that we deal with? Isn't it nerve-wracking? How many of you have a friend that you never know which one's going to show up? Isn't that, isn't that nerve-wracking? You can see him to come into the office, a, co a colleague or a co-worker, and walking down the hall, and you wonder, is this the good guy or the evil twin? What if, what if God was like that? What if you started your prayer? You said, Heavenly Father, and the voice came from heaven. What? I'm sick of the bunch of you. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be awful? Then you come back the next day and say, Lord, are you in a better mood? Yes, I'm sorry. How can I help you? 
We want to know that God is who he is, his character, his goodness, his grace. My faith rests on that. I don't have to worry that because something, there's some flaw in the operation of my faith that it it changes how God does everything. I want to tell you about a particularly sad thing that happened one time. It was a, a lady in, in my church and I, I just felt my heart went out to her, but I was never really able to talk her down from this. Her husband had a stroke and it left him really in a, a basically a, a vegetative state. He was just, it just was a devastating stroke. And she was riddled with guilt. Nothing I could say, no counseling I could give her could really help her, but she was riddled with guilt. Because when the stroke first happened, she cried out to the Lord and she said, Lord, I'm claiming by faith that my husband lived. I'm claiming it by faith. I stand on it. I want my husband to live and I claim it by faith. And she said, he did live. But she said, I, I didn't pray for him to be healthy. I didn't pray for him to be healthy. And God gave me only and exactly what I asked for. Come, come on. Don't you think that God's goodness and character and grace is greater than the, than the most limited prayer that you could ever pray? Do you think that God is that kind of a mean God that he, he's up in heaven and here's this woman struggling, her husband's having a devastating stroke and she says, I just, Lord, just let him live. And God says, okay, okay. You chose door number three. That's what you get. <laughs> Nothing else. You want him to live. He's going to live. Of course, he's going to be ruined for the rest of his life. God is not like that. God is better than our prayers. Listen, I don't want, somebody said faith is to believe that I can get everything that I want from God. Oh my God, no. <laughs> I don't want everything. You've seen my wife. You know how beautiful my wife is. When I was in junior high school, I fell in love with a girl named Michelle. I mean, with the kind of passionate zeal that only an eighth grader can have. I was, I was devastated by this girl. Oh, I loved her. And in my, my Christian eighth grade Christianity, I prayed, Oh God, make Michelle love me. Make Michelle love me. Make Michelle love me. She never, she never gave me the time of day. Not one single date, not one moment. And finally, married a boy named Tommy. Years later, years later, I went back to a class reunion and Michelle walked in. I said, oh, thank you, God. Oh, the Lord is good. <laughs> yeah, my wife looks like a million bucks. Tommy was evidently hard on Michelle. <laughs> what if God had answered that prayer? No, God loves, sometimes God loves us so much that he does not answer our prayer. But we can become so, so turned in. Did I pray that right? Did I say it right? Did I impress God enough? Our faith does not rest on the operational mechanism of our own faith. It rests on the goodness and the character of God. The second thing is it rests, our faith rests on the power of God. This is so important to us. With God, Luke 1, 37, with God, con Dios nada, I know it, I learned it in Spanish, so it's hard for me to say it in English. Con Dios nada es imposible. With, with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. How could, should we ever doubt the power of God? How should we ever doubt the power of God when we look at history? In 70 AD, 
the Jewish people were destroyed. Israel was wiped off of the face of the earth, never to exist ever again. Jerusalem was destroyed, burned down, the temple destroyed, and it was made into a whole new town, a Roman town called Elia Capitolinia. They wanted to wipe the name Israel off the face of the earth, so they reached back in history before the Jews, and they found the Philistines. And in Latin, there's no PH sound. It comes out as a hard P. Instead of Philistine, it came out as Palestine. And so they renamed Israel as Palestine. It was the end of Israel, never to be brought again. Never. There would never, ever be Israel again. 70 AD until 1948, when God brought Israel again to be on the face of the earth. How should we ever doubt if God can raise up Israel, if God can rebuild Jerusalem, if God can call the Jews back, there is nothing that is too hard for God. There's nothing too hard for God. Our faith rests, first of all, on his goodness. Our faith rests, secondly, on his power. It rests, third, on his eternity. Now, this is very, very important. We project onto God our own sense of time. We project onto God our own sense of, of history and, and moment. We feel that God is trapped in the same time frame that we are. But that when we can grasp that our faith rests on a transcendent reality, a God that is a God that is eternal, then those things which are happening in right this moment are small and we rest them on something that is eternal. Let me give you an example, shocking example. When I was in Ghana many years ago, there had been many under Idi Amin, the reign of terror in Idi Amin in Uganda. Many people had fled Uganda and come to Ghana. I met a, an Ugandan pastor who was there in Ghana, recovering really from the horror. Uh, a lot of the young people here will not remember Idi Amin, but he was a monster. Uh, an absolute monster, uh, a cannibalistic, demonic dictator that, that destroyed his own people and particularly persecuted Christians. And this pastor from Uganda had come over to Ghana and I talked with him for a long time one night and he told me one of the most horrible stories and I, I won't go into graphic detail and destroy your worship service, but I want you to hear what happened. They kept him in a cell underneath the military barracks in Kampala, and for 150 days straight, they brought a member of his congregation, man, woman, sometimes a child, once he said even an infant. And they said, if you will promise us that you will never preach again, we'll let this person live. But if not, we're going to kill him. And they, and they killed him in a particularly horrible and brutal way that I won't go into. And he said, some of them would say, Pastor, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm okay. Others, he said, would clutch the bars of his cell and scream and cry and plead him. Pastor, just tell him anything. Just tell him, don't let him kill me. Don't let him kill me. And he said, it would tell the guards every time, I, I can't do this. Don't you understand? I can't. I, I want to. I don't want you to kill this person, but I can't. I can't promise to obey you to save this person's life and disobey the eternal God. I can't do it. And he said 150 days they killed a parishioner, a man, woman, child, and once an infant in front of my eyes in a violent and, and horrible way. I said, Pastor, how did you, how did you do it? How did you get through it? He said one thing. 
It became my meat. It became my light. It became my life. It became the blood in my veins. It became everything to me. He said it was where Paul the apostle said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He said, I would say it every time I commit this person unto him against that day. I surrender this person here in the prison cell at Kampala. I surrender them into an eternal God. When our faith rests on an eternal God, the issues of life and death cannot topple us because eternity is underneath us. Eternity is greater than what we're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know the agony. I don't know the pain or the loss or the grief. But when our faith rests on the, on the reality of an eternal God, it changes everything. What, what is, what is death? Sometimes we talk about faith in, in the, in the spirit-filled world. We talk about faith and the operation of faith and claiming things by faith in such a way that we make it sound like that death is the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. Death for a believer is actually the doorway through which we step into the realm on which our temporal world rests. This life rests on something eternal. Therefore, the actual doorway of death, that physical death, is the moment by which we step through into the eternity that our faith has rested on. We, we live on this side of the door. We are trapped by our time-sensitive view, our temporal view. And so therefore, because we know our faith rests on eternity, but we can't see through the doorway. We, we feel trapped over here. And that's the reason that we grieve and that's perfectly okay. That's the reason we feel lost. It's, it's normal. You should. But the fact of the matter is death doesn't devastate us. Death has no sting. Death has no victory over us because death is simply the doorway whereby I actually inherit that on which my faith has rested while I lived in the temporal world. It's like this. It's like this. Here's a, a mom who has a little uh, eight-month-old baby, and she gets him all dressed up for, for Sunday school and puts him there on the couch, and she says, now sit right here. I've got to go into the next room and change clothes and get ready for Sunday school. Sit right here. And, but as soon as she goes out of the room, he begins to scream because for a baby, out of sight, she may as well be on Mars. She has, he has no sense of space. Furthermore, he has no sense of time. He doesn't have any sense of time. Five minutes, five years, five eons. He doesn't, she's, all he knows is my mommy's not in this room with me right this minute. So he screams. He screams the whole time. She comes back in all dressed for Sunday school and she's very tender and patient. They're there. They're there. Now don't be silly. Mommy's back. I was just getting dressed for Sunday school. That's okay while he's eight months old. But what if when he's 23? She says, here, sit right here on the couch. In a few minutes, we'll go to Wednesday night service. Just wait right here. She goes in the other room to get dressed. And he begins to scream and cry. She's not going to be patient and loving with it. She's going to come on, you big dope. Five minutes, I'm in the other room. But those people who have gone ahead of us into the eternity on which our faith rests, if they could speak to us, what they would say is, look, I've just gone into the other room to change clothes 
and I'm coming right back. So our faith rests, first of all, on the character of God, upon his goodness. His goodness and his grace is greater than the technicalities of my prayer. I don't have to worry that I get the words wrong and God's going to jerk the rug out from under me. My faith rests upon his power. There is nothing that I can ask God for that is too hard for God. My faith rests upon his eternity, that I can commit everything into his hands. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I commit unto him against that day. He's able to keep my kids. He's able to keep my life. He's able to keep my eternity. And the more that I can commit to him, the more I rest on his faith. Now, the second thing is our, our faith rests up, not upon what we do or what we have done. Our faith rests upon what he has done, the finished work of Christ. In Isaiah 28 and verse 16, which Peter then quotes again in 1 Peter chapter 2, God says, behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a sure stone, a rock. Those who reject this rock shall fall on it and they shall be bruised and crushed. But those who will receive this rock, this foundation, if they will rest their life upon this foundation, then their faith rests not on what they do or haven't done or understand or how they work their faith. Their faith rests on what I have done. In other words, this is not on me. This is not on who I am. This is not on what I've done. This is not even on what I will do. It's not on all my promises and all my vows. It's on what he has accomplished. There is this fascinating passage of scripture, which is quoted ad nauseum, Luke 17. If you have but faith, but as a, a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea and it will be removed. And that is the verse of scripture that many people will use to attack your faith. And other people will use to talk about the operation of faith. If you have a grain of mustard, a faith is a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. So your atheist friends will say to you, okay, move a mountain. Let's say, you, you got faith? You have faith even the sign of a mustard seed? Then move a mountain. But what the passage is about is about kingdom against kingdom. In prophetic writing, and Jesus was both king and priest, but he was also a prophet. In prophetic writing, the word mountain may mean all kinds of things, but what it almost never means is mountain. It may mean a dominion or a force or a dynasty. Zechariah chapter four, who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. In other words, it says, you dynasties, you forces, you kingdoms, you tyrants, who do you think you are? When Jesus shows up, you'll be as flat as a tortilla. <laughs> who art thou, O great mountain? So Jesus says, look, the kingdom of darkness ranges against you. The forces of, of evil, the power of satanic opposition is against you. If you had the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to Satan and all of his forces, may your mountain, your dominion, your force, your power be cast into the sea. I Satan out of my way. Now, listen to this. Why does he use a grain of mustard seed? 
Because look, he is contrasting. This is a comforting thought to us. He is contrasting the world system of weights and measurements. You, have you seen this uh, current car ad? I can't, I don't even remember what it's advertising. Maybe Cadillac, I think. I'm not sure. It says, everybody says less is more. It says that's not what we believe. More is actually more. Well, actually in the world, more is more. Two is more than one. A, a bushel is more than a half a bushel. And so in the world system of weights and measurements, what you want is more and more and more because you're measuring something. You're weighing something. But Jesus says in the, in the spiritual domain, that means nothing. That means nothing. He said, everybody's trying to get more faith, bigger faith, stronger faith. He says, get your mind off of that. Don't worry about the size or dominion or shape or power or musculature nature of your own faith. All you need is a faith of a mustard seed. It's not how much faith you have. It's where you rest it. It's where you set it. So the whole thing, the whole thing is not that you have bushels and bushels and bushels of faith that rest on nothing. Faith that rests on itself. Now listen to this. This is gonna, this is gonna challenge some of you, but now if you have anything sharp or heavy in your hand, I want you to lay it down right now. Faith in faith alone is idolatry. Faith in faith is idolatry. If you worship your own faith, you may as well worship a golden calf. Faith in faith is idolatry. Faith in the faith of God. Faith that rests on something, faith that that is sitting on something, that stands on something. The foundation of our lives is not our own faith. Our faith rests on the foundation of the finished work of Christ. Our, found, our faith rests on the foundation of God's character. Our faith rests on the power of God's infinite grace. Our faith rests on the goodness of God. Our faith doesn't rest on itself. Our faith rests on who God is. So therefore, the issue is not the size or strength or power or, or volume. When you can't measure faith in volume. Jesus says, forget all that. All that does is put your mind on your own faith. It can actually make you so self-conscious that it stands between you and the prayer of faith. So you get ready to pray a prayer of faith and you think, I don't know. Do I have enough faith? Have I got it right? Am I standing right? Do I, should I cross my hands? You know, should I? Maybe I should. Yeah. Man, oh, I need to kneel. I'm kneel. I'll kneel down. But he gets our eyes on us. Jesus is getting, he says, look, all you need is the faith of a grain of mustard seed. I just want to say something to you. Every single one of us has that. You have enough faith to move the dynasty of satanic opposition that comes against you. You have enough faith. You have faith. The issue is not enough faith. The issue, you can have bushels and bushels and bushels of what you think is faith, and if it rests on air, you fall over like the, like the Lotus Riviera. Is it, do, do you want your, the foundation of your life to look like this? Do you want your, the, the roots and the pipes and the, and the, foundation to be jerked up from the end and fall over and look like, is that it? Say, I thought I had so much faith. I built 13 stories of faith and it was beautiful and it fell over. 
The issue is not the issue is not dimension. The issue is not volume. The issue is not high rise. The issue is not how many stories your faith has. Jesus says, forget all that. The issue is not how big your faith is. The issue is how you rest your faith, where you set your faith. All the faith in the world that sits on air means nothing. And faith the size of a mustard seed that rests on the foundation of the character and nature of God moves mountains. That's the, that's the ultimate truth. My little, my little strength, my life force, my power, all that I can build, my kingdom, all that I can create built on sinking sand is simply a disaster waiting to happen. But my little tiny mustard seed of faith on the sure foundation of the cornerstone of Christ's finished work is unshakable. Nothing, nothing can destroy that. Therefore, the issue, the issue is not how much faith you've got or how good at it you are or how you anything. You should work at your faith and use your faith and speak your faith. I'm not saying they shouldn't do those things. I'm saying that that's not the issue that can make you self-conscious. It can actually stand between you and praying the prayer of faith because you come to the moment of praying the prayer of faith and you turn your eyes on yourself. Look instead at the foundation upon which this prayer rests. Say, Lord, I don't know if I'm praying this prayer right. I don't know if I have it right. I don't know if I have the right words. I don't know if I'm saying it right or standing right or holding my mouth right. I don't know. What I know is I'm going to take this prayer the best I know how to pray it, and I'm going to lay it on the foundation of the finished work of Christ. I'm setting it on the cornerstone of Jesus. Now, of course, that's in all of life and in death. But but we have to start someplace. We have to start someplace. There has to come a moment where we make the first step of faith to say, look, everything underneath me has been sinking. I felt differential settlement cracking my life. I don't have enough foundation to hold the towers that I've built. My whole, the whole thing is falling over and cracking. So before I can live my life on the foundation of true faith, I've got to, I've got to get over there on it. I've got to make the step. I have to somehow or another, Step over and rest everything. God, I give you my life. I give you my future, my past, my sins, my hopes, my dreams. I give you everything. I, I just step over on it. I don't know if anybody here is old enough to remember the Indiana Jones movies. But there was this one. I, was it the Temple of Doom, I think? You remember there was this, there's this invisible bridge and they have to run out on this invisible bridge. Do you remember that? I just know myself. I know my, I'd have grabbed a handful of dirt, you know, and thrown it out there to see where it, you know, oh, there it is. But in a real sense, that's almost a metaphor for the life of faith. 
to say, Lord, I'm going to take everything I am, everything I have, all my belief system, all my hopes, all my dreams, and my eternity, and I'm just going to step over on this. I'm going to rest everything there. The issue is not how much faith you have. There's not one person in this room or in the sound of my voice that doesn't have plenty of mustard seed. It's where you rest it. And if you ever have. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.